Very, very cool. Thanks, Bryce. I realized I didn't actually introduce Andrew. I did mention that he's here. So for those of you that are very new, um, Andrew actually was the one whom God called to actually start this church. So as you know, or may not know, depending as how new you are, this is one congregation of many congregations. Joshua Generation. Joshua Generation meets all across the city and even South Africa, actually. Um, but it all started when God called Andrew to come and plant this church here in Cape Town, starting in Tableview. And uh, so, yeah, we, I really want to encourage you to open your hearts wide to Andrew. He's a man whom we love and trust and respect massively in the Lord. And I really believe he's going to be used of God to lead us and, and bring a word for us in this season. We're also going to be chatting about Dan and Sam, and we're going to be chatting about family stuff as well. So... Yeah, there's a lot God's going to do in us this morning. Over to you. Thank you. It is uh, amazing to be with you guys. And how nice is it to get back together after COVID? <laughs> so over COVID, I just can't wait to get back to normal life. And, uh, and so these moments are just special. I think we realize, again, the wonderful thing that we have with each other, actually, that we're a family, a community. A lot of new faces. And so... Uh, it's great seeing some old, lots of new guys and girls, and uh, yeah, I hope we get to meet you guys, know you guys, and build together for the glory of God. And uh, today is a big moment. Obviously, as a congregation, there's lots happening in you, and we're wanting to make sure that we are helping every single one of us come through into everything that God has for us, because often, you know, often as a leader, you realize Jesus died on a cross for each and every one of us. And uh, he paid the price. We belong to him. And then in his wisdom, he entrusts that which he loves to, to men, which is crazy. <laughs> but he does. And there's a plurality of men that he builds with because one man on his own is a dangerous thing. But plurality, there's a sense that we submit one to another out of reverence for Christ and, and do our best to try and find what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing in every single community, in every single life, so that we can see every single person walking in their unique God-given destiny. Uh, and that's really our goal. That's what we want to see for every single one of us, that each of you would grow with us and come into the fullness of your destiny. And sometimes as we come through, uh, things happen which cause us to stumble and we have to process that as well because we're a family, we're a community. And, uh, and so one of the things that obviously Danny and Sam, who I've known, how long have I known you guys for? Jesus, yeah, I knew you before that even, but nine, ten years have been working closely. And Dan, oh, he's going to come up and share just now as well. But Dan, uh, when I first went up to the church that he was actually, well, you, you were an elder then, eh? So he was an elder in the church. His dad actually uh, is one of our elders. He leads in Brackenfell right now. But his dad, they were an independent church. They had been part of a group called New Covenant, which we had also come out of. And in the independence, his dad had actually had a total meltdown, had a bipolar, serious bipolar episode. And uh, they just linked with us as a church. And I was you know, sent up to go and start building the bridge of connection. And I remember being there. Dan was a young man in that church. And uh, Roland, who's amazing, I mean, he leads our, our Brackenville congregation, Dan's, Dan's dad, was so over the top in terms of his bipolar episode, he's, they'd kind of they'd messed up his medication, that to give you an idea of how serious it was, I was sitting in his lounge, he had a Rottweiler that was like one of the biggest Rottweiler I've ever seen in my life, that was lunging at the sliding door, and I was sitting on this side of the sliding door, and I remember its nostrils leaving imprints on the door as it is growling and trying to get through the door to me, sitting on the couch. And I was more scared of Roland than I was of the Rottweiler. <laughs> and uh, we, we were throwing so in the deep end, there was a sense of, oh my goodness, this guy cannot carry on leading. It's just, he's too broken, we've got to try and pull him out of leadership. We have no relationship with the church. Uh, we have no leader that we can actually send up. At that time, we were thin, really, you know, spread thin. Uh, I think we're even spread thinner now. But then it, we just had no leaders we could send up to take over that church. And there was a sense of, what are we going to do? And I remember realizing the Lord 
pointing out Dan and thinking, God, he is so not ready for this. Like he was a young leader with a lot of potential on him, but not yet ready for the role that he was going to get thrust into. And the more we prayed, the more we tried to work it through, the more we realized, it's, it's you, Dan. And I think Dan was thrown in the deep end. Dan and Sam were thrown in the deep end. And actually did amazingly well. Uh, he really did do well. He, he did outstandingly well. Uh, came through very quickly. Uh, and it was just beautiful to see what Jesus was doing in him in so many areas. And then obviously the journey to come join with us and Ryan Lelani that we're leading this congregation up there. And I think the Lord knew what he was doing because actually he loves his church. And when I say his church, I mean this and I mean this and this and this and this, every single one of us. And so, you know, bringing them down here, and I, I don't think any of us realized it then, but Jesus did, that there was something that he was going to do in them because actually he loves them and wants the best for them. And, and so uh, it, it came out obviously last week that there were uh, areas of unfaithfulness in Dan, and I'll talk a bit about that later if I get a chance, how we can be on so many areas reflecting Jesus, and maybe there's a part of us that hasn't, he hasn't got full lordship of yet. And so often in ministry, men, um, especially in circles outside of our circles, have deep, fatal cracks in their personality, in their character. And those cracks, if they're not dealt with, will always hurt the church of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, for elders, the Bible says, the cool thing for you guys as saints is you can mess up, and it's like his grace is new every morning, and it's fine. But for elders, for elders... The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 17, that if an elder sins, he is to be rebuked publicly so that others can learn from his example. And you actually learn from our successes and you learn from our failures. And so we have this public ministry that God's given us, entrusted to us. But, I, you know, when you read your Bible, it doesn't take you long to see, you know, Peter and the deep cracks in the man that Jesus used. You see, Abraham, the father of our faith, I mean, he's known as the father of our faith. And when he goes to Egypt, he lies about his wife because he's got no faith and he lies. And you think, God, there's no secrets with you when it comes to leaders. But we love these men and we love even our leaders as the cracks emerge because they are precious in God's sight. And God has a plan to restore them and redeem them and see them walking in the fullness of their destiny. Now, as elders of the Lord, there is a qualification, a number of qualifications, and those qualifications are important because what I do in the secret place that you don't see will eventually ripple into ministry. And so if I, you know, the Bible says if my children are unruly, that can disqualify me. Why? Because actually that shows probably that there is an area in me that I haven't yet got the Lordship of Jesus Christ sorted in. If my wife is broken and not coming through, that also disqualifies me. If I have a bad reputation at work, that would disqualify me because at the end of the day, I have to be above reproach as a leader. And again, we're not perfect. I deal with sin weekly. It's just the gravity, the weight of the sin that we deal with is, uh, can't be something that would actually cause damage to you. All right. And so we believe, this is what the Bible teaches, uh, this, is, uh, this is not Josh Jen's stance, this is the, sta the stance of the New Testament, the stance of the Bible. And so with that, obviously coming out with Dan and realizing, oh, Dan, uh, you know, kind of messing up before he actually joined up with us, but kept those things hidden, and that's dishonest. It's not living in the light as he's in the light. And as an elder, we need to live in the light as he's in the light. So, okay, how do we help this couple come through into everything. We don't, I mean, Jesus was punished on the cross. So this is not a punishment, but it is a sense of how do we, what's going to be the best for you? And I often say this, one size does not fit all. Because people are individuals, you know, uh, and, and we have to find the keys in the Lord that he knows to unlock every single person into their destiny. And so you might find at the moment, I think we've got four elders that have fallen in porn and Dan who's fallen in another area around faithfulness. And of those four elders that have fallen into porn, they will all be processed and come through at different paces. We need all of them yesterday. Right now we've got 54 congregations. We don't have, an, we don't have any elders in some of our congregations yet. So we desperately need more leaders. We cannot afford what's happening right now. You must understand the gray hairs 
and the amount of work that this is creating for us. It'd be so easy to just cover over these things and just, you know what, we need these guys. We'll just keep pushing them out there. And, but we can't because the Lord loves people more than he loves what they will do for him. And so we've got to try and find the keys to every single person. And so, you know, for each of these four guys that have fallen in porn, we're walking, I know these guys are discipling them intensely, as are some of the other elders. And some of those guys might come through, and I, don't, I can't even tell you when. We have a sense that some might come through in the next few weeks. I have a sense that some might take a year. And I have a sense that some might never come through, depending on the decisions that they make. And we will do everything in our power to see them come through. But ultimately, ultimately, we make decisions that will cause us to step through into healing and wholeness or not. And that's something we have to work out. And so it's not like we sit there saying, are you this? And we're trying to, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? And then together, working with those guys, see them come through into more. And so something that as we've been working through with Dan, we've, I think we've kind of realized, okay, this might be a little bit deeper than we initially thought. And so we met with Dan and Sam a few days ago. And uh, why don't you come up and uh, come and share some of, the, some of the processes of the Lord. I think Dan just wants to get through these things. <laughs> so first of all, I'm never preaching again. I'm tired of talking. No, I'm just- I'm joking. Um, yeah, we've, um, we, uh, first of all, yeah, we've, <laughs> so I think that's the biggest thing we've felt is we've, yes, we've felt the love from this congregation. It's insane. It's, <laughs> Sammy is crying, but it's a good cry. <laughs> because we really do, we really do feel loved. Um, but this process has been, is, not has been, is super difficult because we realize, like, I love ministry and I love you guys and I love the church, but I love Jesus so much more. And I want to grow up to be like him. I want to be like Jesus in every area. So I've, I asked Andrew and them, I said, I don't want to be restored to ministry. I want to be more like Jesus. That's my priority. And so in sitting with them, we've realized for my life, it's just been ministry in Jesus. It's one thing. There's never been a separation. I came onto eldership when I was 20. Um, and I, got, I recommitted my life to Jesus when I was 19. And so for me, my walk with Jesus has always been leading people. And it's hidden cracks. And it's... It's hidden things that have then come out to hurt me and others. I'm so hard, so <laughs> this stuff is hurting this congregation because I love you guys. I really do. And I've, I, we've, Sam and I both, we, we feel it in the Lord. Like we know that if God is going to do the, if Andrew covers over quickly, we can limp along. I don't want to limp along. I want, to, I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be where He is. And so we really feel like um, for us that the only way for the Lord to do this is to separate ministry and Jesus. And so we actually... So we've actually spoken about it and, and I'm actually going to look for work. Um, we don't want to rush this process um, the church is committed to saying, hey, we'll support you financially if you need to, whatever it takes in terms of looking for work. But I feel like for us as Dan and Sam and our family and you guys, we want to, I begged, not that I had to beg much, but I, we want to be a part of City Bowl. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stay a part of the church. But for us, we need to separate ministry and we just want to serve Jesus with you, alongside you, um, the same as the leaders do, but for us, and that means I need to go find a job, you know, I, I need to not be tied into hiding things to save my job, because that's what can cause unfaithfulness, is hiding things to save my life, because if you save your life, you'll lose it. I don't want to save my life, I want to lose it, I want to live with Jesus, and so that for us is difficult, I don't know what I'll do, um, I have ideas, not many, 
Um, I have skills, not many. I'm meeting with Ross tomorrow night. She's going to help me put a CV together, and then we'll conquer the world. Um, but so we are, but I am nervous about the process, but we're actually really excited. We also got the news this week that we're not able to stay in our house anymore. So <laughs> God's really cranking it up. So we have to move. I have to find work. It's like our whole life is being whipped out. But actually, it's because He loves us. I think that's, that is the massive part for me. I, I, when I was battling through this stuff, I read um, in somewhere, I can't remember which Peter, I read them a lot. And it actually says, this is God's grace to you. Um, and that's how we're receiving this as Dan and Sam. We're seeing this season as God's grace to us. Because if he actually didn't love us, he would work us till we died and then left us. But if he loves us, he wants to pull us out. He wants to save us. He wants to prevent us hurting anyone or anything. And I hope we haven't. Um, but yeah, so that's what the process looks for us. So if you're looking to hire someone to... <laughs> and I think one of the things we've always tried to do is try and help carry one another. Mark Davies, I think, stepped down, how long was that? About a year and a bit ago. And we've, he's still on staff. Um, and so, again, every single person is unique. But I think from their side and from ours, as we're trying to process this, it just feels like this is what Jesus wants them to do. And I actually, I was chatting with Dan and saying, Dan, you were given great opportunity. You were thrust in. Most guys would have died to have the opportunity he did to get given a church at that point. And the Lord works so differently with us, you know. Like, I took years to walk in leadership. I, I thought God had forgotten me. I remember leading guys to the Lord um, and, and some of them came through into ministry, and I wasn't even leading a home group. And one of the guys was actually ministering overseas at international worship conferences, but the biggest worship conference in the world. One of my babies was preaching at those conferences, and I wasn't leading a home group. And I remember thinking, Jesus, are you ever going to fulfill the promises that you made me? And I'm like, you've forgotten about me. But I'm grateful now that the Lord took his time, and there was a lot of work that had to be done. Dan didn't have that opportunity but he was given a different opportunity, and, and Jesus does that. Sometimes he'll just leave you on the side and process you before you're ready, and sometimes he'll process you on the job. And even our failures he knows about before we make them. And so even that is a part of who he is, faithfully working in us the finished work of what he wants to. And so, uh, you know, from our side, again, we would carry them, but... We are trying, we are sensing, and I think unanimously, that this is something that Jesus wants them to do. And I think for Dan, it feels like he was in ministry, thrust into it. And now it's like the Lord's saying, actually, Dan, now go back to the start and rebuild and build properly this time. That when you come through, that you can stand in the time of trial and the time of testing. And so it's a great opportunity for him uh, to get healed, to get fixed, uh, and, and, to, and to come through into everything. So how long is this going to take? I don't know. I honestly can tell you, I do not know. The crazy thing is, and I don't want to put something in their hearts, because I think they know, but this could take, in six weeks, Jesus could say, okay, come back. Six months, six years. I cannot tell you. I can only tell you this that we will do our best to see them come through as fast as we dare possibly can. Uh, Dan is an he's a friend, he's an incredible gift to the body of Christ that actually the body of Christ needs. Uh, and so we need him. We, as I've said, we don't have enough lead elders as it is. So it's not like we are sitting there going, yo, we've got so many. You know, We do not have enough guys that can do what he can do in terms of gifting. But his gifting isn't actually what's important. He is what's important. And so we prepared to take the hit and process this as a team, which means we're running ragged so that they can have a chance to get whole and fixed. And so, again, we, we'll keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean for now? It means that right now your eldership team, and he's going to have to pick up a lot of the, the slack and pick up the lead in this time. And I've really encouraged him to lead. You know, don't, this is not a holding pattern. Lead, move this congregation forward. And obviously, as directing elders and others within 412, we will come alongside. You've got some great elders that will be here with to help this congregation move forward. You certainly are going to miss him up front because he's a great gift up front. But we've often taught you, and we've taught this over and over again, you're not here to listen to 
to watch some guy performing up front. You are here to become a kingdom of priests. You are here to actually be what Jesus called you to be. And actually, at the end of the day, Jesus knew that this was going to go down before he created the universe. And he put you here. And so it's actually an opportunity for you to rise up. The Bible says if one part of the body struggles or suffers, the whole part feels it. But the rest of the body compensates quite quickly to make up for the slack. And in some ways, it's a time where of, of, of actually just rising up within your own grace and being faithful to the Lord. And uh, as soon as we can, we'll see them flying with us again. And, uh, but for each one of you, I want to encourage you that you would um, process this. Process your hearts. If you have questions, chat to some of the elders. Some of you don't know us. You might think we are horrible. Um, Yeah, you might. Some of you do think we're horrible. I believe this, and, I've, and this is something I'm convinced of. The measure that we use will be the measure that God uses with us. And I can say before God, I can say this before the Lord Jesus, that if he was my only son, this would be what I believe is right for him. I can say that before God. I believe this is Jesus' will for Dan. With all of my heart. I have no doubt about it. And the elders with me as we've been praying and waiting on the Lord and Dan. This is what the Lord is asking him to do. Ministry full time isn't a right. It's not a right for any of us. And so this is a process that the Lord will bring him through. So you guys all right? Yeah. All right. All right. I feel like I'm scared to ask questions. <laughs> All right, let me, let me actually touch on this because I think the, the Bible says, again, 1 Timothy, that in, what happens to an elder actually teaches us. And so what do we learn from this as a community? What, what can you learn from this? Because I guarantee you, while your journey will be unique, it won't be the same as Dan's or mine, there, will, there are things that you have to learn so that one day when you stand in front of Jesus, you can hear him say, well done, my good and my faithful servant. And how many of you know that Jesus has got a specific, unique thing that he wants to do through only your life. As our Bible says, before he made the world, he had predestined us to do things, stuff. And there's stuff that your heavenly father has designed that only you can do. No one else can do it. And your job, your, your goal in life is to beat your body, to run your race, to run with the Lord Jesus until one day when you finally breathe your last and you come into his presence, you can hear him say, well done. You know, you ran your race well. You did the things that I wanted you to do. And, and certainly I know for me, I think my deepest longing is that, I, I, that on that day, that every single one of you will walk in the unique things that he has for you, whatever that is. That is the longing of our hearts. Uh, but Jesus said some stuff to us when he starts the journey. And he says, remain in me and I'll remain in you and you will bear much fruit. And when we come to Jesus... How many of you know that there's a journey that starts to happen where he becomes not just our savior, but also the Lord of our lives? In other words, when you became a Christian, if you were properly saved, you should have understood that from that day onward, everything changed. You lived your life for you, but when you became a Christian, you no longer live for you. You actually begin to live for him and for his glory. Your primary purpose in life is to seek first his righteousness and seek first his kingdom. And that for every single one of us, that means that he becomes Lord. And so for me, I, you know, I, I was, if, if he wasn't in my life, I would right now probably be sailing a yacht somewhere around the Indonesian or some, somewhere where there's not a lot of surfers. And, and I would just be enjoying my life. I'd be enjoying the things that I love, which is the ocean. I'd be living selfishly. Uh, I mean, I, I, but I am not my own. I was bought with blood. And in some ways, I've become entirely his. But that process of become, him becoming Lord is a process. So when you were first a Christian, what were the first things that he started to speak to you about? Give me some things. Swearing. Yeah, me too. That was one of the first things he addressed in me. What are some of the other things he started to speak to you about as a young Christian? Some of you are so old, you can't remember. <laughs> Idolatry. Yeah, that's a little bit deeper, but yeah. Some of the loves that we have that compete with our love for him. What? Are you being naughty? A what? 
Murder. <laughs> yeah, what? You know, we're, we're <laughs> for each of us, when we come to him, he starts to address things. And normally when the journey starts, it's outward things. It's swearing, it's, it's lust or, you know, sex. It's, it's, it's those kind of outward things that he starts to address. And then you start to get victory in those areas. I remember when I broke free from swearing, I stopped doing drugs, I stopped doing cigarettes, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm like Moses. I, felt, I remember thinking, like, I'm so holy, you know, like, like, I'm so different from my friends that have carried on. I really thought I was doing well. And then the Lord starts kind of ratcheting it up a bit, and it goes a little bit deeper, and suddenly it's like the attitudes of your heart and, and forgiveness for someone that's hurt you. And it's like, hey, it's a little bit harder, it's a little bit... And it's a progressive journey of trust. Maybe some of you have, have come out of broken families or broken situations. And trust is a real issue to you. Even this is probably poking that thing. Maybe Jesus is trying to bring you through into a place where you do learn to trust. Because the Bible says that love always trusts. And so the Lord starts taking it deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's a progressive kind of, the Bible calls it, well, Theologians call it sanctification. You become like him more and more every single day. I often think of people a bit like, in some ways we each are a bit like a house. Jesus said, in my father's house there are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. But I think for me, what I've realized is when I first came to Jesus, if I was a house, he kind of moved into my entrance hall. And the entrance hall was probably the things that you would initially see if you came to visit me. And so I stopped swearing. I, I stopped doing things that, you know, I stopped smoking, I stopped doing drugs. And so the, the entrance hall got really clean. And I was like, woo, this is amazing. And then he goes, okay, now we're going to go to another room and another room. And I, I've been saved now. I think I got saved at 20, so it's what, at 30 years this year, turning 50 this year, a few weeks' time. 30 years on. And I have been flat out from the day that I was born again. I have never been a lukewarm Christian. Never. I was flat out, full on, from the day that I got saved. I was never compromised. I, the, I backslid in a moment. When I say I backslid in a moment, I did drugs once. And you heard my story yesterday about sex, and that took six months. It was a fight, and then I got free. And I've been flat out. I have run as fast as I know how to run. Even now, I'm running as fast as I know how to run. And still, still, Jesus is cleaning out things in me and and addressing things in me, because I am not yet like him. I, I, I want to be like him. I, I'm grateful that there's a lot in me that I recognize is him. It's, it's like I've died, and he's taken those places. And so if you, if you, if you, if you hit me, you're probably going to find Jesus coming out. I might have to grapple a little bit. But you're probably going to find Jesus coming out. And that's been a journey for me of becoming less of me and more of him. And, and it'll carry on until I finally... My heart stops, and I come into his presence, and in that moment, I will finally be just like him. I'll not, I'll not battle with sin anymore. I won't battle with my own brokenness anymore. Finally, I will be the way he made me to be. And so for each of us, we're on this journey. And I don't know how far he's got in your house. I don't know how many rooms he's got access to, but he wants all of you. He is not mucking around, and he's not prepared to just, like, you give me this much, and okay, that's cool. He is not prepared to do that. It is all or it's nothing with Jesus. And then a lot of Christians think they can kind of do this Christian thing. They're just deceiving themselves. They, they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. He is either your absolute Lord or he's not your Lord at all. In other words, you, you either are flat out for him or you're not saved. You can't sort of, you know, the disciples left everything to follow him. They didn't, like, oh, Jesus, I don't know if I quite want to leave these things. It's everything or it's nothing. And, and he'll begin to address every single area in your life progressively. Uh, you know, smoking, drinking, whatever. And then I remember he started touching my idol, which was surfing. Oh, my goodness, that was not something I enjoyed. There were other things he's touched. But I remember thinking I was doing so well in the Lord, and one day I was worshiping. I mean, it was a Sunday morning. I never missed church, no matter how good the surf was. I didn't think surfing was an idol, but my whole identity was tied into surfing. What people thought about me, I'd find my worth, my sense of identity in being a surfer, and I was a good surfer in my day. 
I'm all toppy now. Eighth in the world in wave ski surfing. I was good. Sponsored. Kite surfing came in. I, was, I came second in an international competition. I was good at the things I did. And then the Lord says, I'm worshiping. And he says, Andrew, yes, Lord. And when he speaks, it's lovely until he, Andrew, I want you to give up surfing. It's competing. It's competing with your love for me. What? What? I honestly started thinking, I think I even tried to get behind me Satan thing. It was just like, <laughs> there's no, are you joking? Are you joking with me? Like, seriously, this is not something I want to give up. And I, and, I, and, I, and I just kind of put my fingers in my ears and I decided, no, you're asking, this can't be you. This is, you're asking too much. Why? This is my only sport. So I, I ignored him at first. I did. I ignored him at first. I just went surfing. The problem was I remember sitting at the back line and one of my friends who had been through a similar journey had been told to give up surfing and he hadn't and I'd watched him go through that process. And then a prophet called him out in a meeting. He's actually in our church, Stephen Cross. He's in Melkworth's congregation. This is up in PE in the early days. We were young. He was a young guy coming through in ministry and God told him to give up surfing and he didn't. This was before God spoke to me. And um, I'll never forget Graham Cook calls him out in a meeting as a prophet and says, the Lord's asked you to lay something down and you haven't obeyed him. And the Lord says to you today, you'll stare the jaws of death in the face twice and you'll survive and then you'll break free. He carried on surfing. And, and he was surfing with a few friends of mine at a place called Kays in PE. And a great white shark, a five meter great white shark, came at him underwater. It lunged at him. He put his arm in it to try to punch it. His arm went in its mouth, and it bit onto his arm. It actually severed his artery, picked him up in the water, and he's hitting it on the other arm, trying to get out of its mouth. It's thrashing around and holding him underwater. It lets go. My other friend, Carl Walton, paddles over to try and, also try and get it off of him, but the thing just smacks him with its tail. It's a five-meter great white. It's a powerful thing. And, um, and then Steve is he's just pouring out blood. He's popped his artery. He's trying to paddle to the beach. And uh, all my friends, all Christians are on the beach praying, oh God, because they all got out the water really quickly. It's amazing how quickly you can get out the water when a great white shark pulls in. And they're on the beach praying, and it's just Carl and Steve paddling in. And, and as Steve paddling, the guys watch this fin pop behind him like a Jaws movie, and it starts coming to following his blood trail. And they're paddling like mad, and he catches a wave as the shark lunges at him. And the shark bites, and because he accelerated quickly as he caught the wave, it Bites his leash. I saw the leash. Seven centimeters behind his foot. It bit through his leash. You can actually see where its tooth went through. And dunk. And it bit through his leash. And he got to the beach. Carl was a paramedic in the army. He tourniqueted his arm. They carried him on a surfboard. Got him to the hospital. And then he gave up surfing. <laughs> so I remember sitting at the back. And now I'm going. Dun dun Eventually, eventually, I've got to be honest, one day you're going to see my video and you're going to see what I was going, I was just like, I don't want to give it up. It was my whole identity. And I was like, <laughs> and I remember sitting at the back and I was eventually, I was so scared that I was going to get bitten by a great white shark. And I became known as a shark magnet as well, by the way. So, so, so there was a sense, I eventually just decided, okay, I can't do this anymore. And for about six months, I did not go in the water. Just laid down, probably my greatest love. And... Um, and I thought I'd never surf again. I'd settled. And I'll never forget I was in worship the one day. And I was gone. There was this out of me. And the Lord said to me in worship, at the end of this meeting, go get your surfboard and go for a surf. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And, you know, there's a part of my, the part of my, my, but my identity was never tied to it anymore. It, it, something had been broken in me. Um, and, and I could leave it again. I do very often when I travel overseas sometimes I can go for a month or even sometimes two months away from the ocean and and just been pouring my life out for the church as God has dealt with my one of my great loves and he's dealt with every single one of my great loves he's dealt with my daughter dealt with my wife dealt with everything that I've loved and he's asked will you lay it down and I've been tested in these things because I've learned 
that the Lord is a jealous God and he wants all of me and he will not leave me. He won't let me stay on my own. He won't leave me to just my own devices. He keeps pounding on those doors until he becomes Lord because he wants to be Lord of everything. And James picks up in his letter in James 4, verse 4 to 10. James is writing to a church that's actually got a little bit compromised. In some ways, they've carried on surfing. They haven't turned away from the sins and the worldly things that they've been doing. And you know, when you're a new Christian, there's a lot of worldly things that are quite fun, true? I have to tell you, drugs was a lot of fun. Sex was awesome before I was married. I'd lie to you, that's why we do it. Living for surfing was amazing. I had no problems, no responsibility. The amount of gray hairs I carry now, I'm thinking, Jesus, if it wasn't for you and eternal life, I mean, I do enjoy what I do, but this is a difficult job. This is not fun. <laughs> to carry this thing. I'm an ex-drug addict that lived in a car for two years. Now I'm carrying thousands of people all over the world, and they're my responsibility to some degree. And I'm like, Jesus... This is not really what, <laughs> everything I do is like, it's not, this is not what I thought I was going to do, but Jesus called me to do this. And so he, you know, James writes to the church and he calls them adulterous people. He's talking to the church. Why are they adulterous? What's an adulterer? It's someone who is married and who does something with somebody else's wife. Here, it's spiritual adultery. It's spiritual adultery to love something more than you love Jesus. Did you know that? So some of you are adulterers. I've seen you know, women desperate for a child, and then they get the child, and they become idolatrous and adulterous with their child in the sense that that child becomes more important to them than serving Jesus. I've seen people need jobs or husbands or wives and becomes an adulterous thing. I will not lay this person down. God, if you take this person, I'll stop serving you. You've become an adulterer. You're loving that person, that thing, more than you love Jesus. And God's not happy with that. And so here James is pretty strong. Don't you know that friendship with the world, in other words, doing the things that the world does, is to be at enmity with God or an enemy of God? Ouch. Do you remember, I mean... You guys, I mean, music's changed from when I was saved. I still love going to nightclubs. I don't even know if you have them anymore. The rave scene came after me. We used to go to our alternative clubs and gothic clubs and alternative music and all that stuff. I remember the Lord saying to me at one point, I mean, I loved music. And the Lord said to me, only Christian music. The problem when I was saved is that there was no cool Christian music. The only Christian music that we could get our hands on in South Africa in those days was a guy called Don Francisco. And I encourage you, if you want to torture yourself, just go and, go and type in Don Francisco and you'll find stuff on YouTube and you'll see what we had to listen to. Because it, I went from gothic alternative hard rock to, and Jenny knows, I mean, she was part of, she was part of that whole scene as well. Like we would go to nightclubs and it was like headbanging stuff. And now it's like, Adam. Adam, where are you? And I was like, it's like country and western hillbilly stuff. I was like, worship in those days. Worship that actually sounds cool. Worship in those days was a guy called Ron Canoli. He was like this, oh my goodness, it was so not my kind of music. I just didn't have music for like a year of my life because it was that bad. <laughs> but I wasn't going to compromise. Now I can listen today to music, but I could not. The Lord said for me, that's what he said. He was he wasn't mucking around with me. It was everything. Just progressively, Andrew and this, and this, and this, as he knocked on every door in my life and said, I want to be Lord. I want to be Lord. I want to be Lord. And so James goes on. Could you put it back up for me? Um, all right. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You've got choices to make. And I, I didn't write that. That's the Bible. The choices you make can, can place you in his grace and in his kindness and in his mercy. All the choices you make can also place you outside of that place, that you become someone like an enemy to him. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, and listen to this, he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. He yearns jealously over your spirit. 
He wants all of you. He died on a cross for every single part of you. He wasn't mucking around when he went to the cross. And now he says, don't muck around with me. Like it's all or nothing. If you want to be lukewarm, what does he say he'll do to us? He'll spit us out of his mouth. It's everything or it's nothing with Jesus. There's no lukewarm. You can try for a little while, but you won't, you won't stay there long. Eventually, your lukewarm will just become cold, 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 until you eventually become an enemy of the Lord. And he is, I can't think of anything worse, because once I've tasted and seen how good he is, I don't want anything but him. There's nothing in this world that compares with him. You see, that's the thing. It's, the more I taste of him, the more I just think, but what is there like you, God? Like, I've pretty much done, I've pretty much done everything that you, I mean, you know, you get these things on Facebook, you know, 20 things, give yourself a point for everything that you've done, and I've pretty much, I'm like head of the class on all the bad things. I've done, the only thing I haven't done is tattoos, because when I was young, tattoos were like, if you wore tattoos, you were like some Sif sailor that just had issues with probably carrying some venereal disease. It was just like... Tattoos were not cool when I was growing up. I mean, do you remember? If you saw a guy with a tattoo, it was like an anchor with mom on the side. It was just bleh. Tattoos became cool after I got saved. If I was younger, I probably would have just been a tattoo. Because I would have just thought that that would make me cool. I'm so glad I don't have tattoos for you. That I'm sorry, even today, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I never did that. Pretty much anything else and everything else. <laughs> so if you could tattoos. <laughs> it's just ah, every generation, eh? But the spirit in us envies intensely for us. And I was just like, Lord, I've tasted all those things, and they did not do in me what you do in me. They don't satisfy me like you satisfy me. Like they, they really are fun and awesome for a moment, and then they just suck. And they're just like, what was the point? Like, why did I do that? You know, drugs was a lot of fun when I did it. I thought it was awesome. I, I, I was stoned for a year and a half permanently. I, like I'd wake up. I, would, I, I mean, who wants to be normal when you could be stoned? And I didn't know what I was doing to myself. But when I came to Jesus and I started to turn away from that, do you know what a mess I was inside because of, because of what I'd done? You see, sin is very attractive for a little while. And as you do it, you don't realize what it's doing in you. You don't realize how it's breaking you inside. It's twisting you. It's distorting you. It's breaking you out of the image of God that he's made you in. It took me, it took me two years. I thought I was going to go mad when I became a Christian because I was so demonized because of things I'd done. I was so broken that my first two years as a Christian, I fought for my sanity. I became suicidal after I got saved. Jenny, you remember me now. Jenny, that girl at the back there, she used to witness to me when I was still in drugs. She said to me after I became a Christian, and all my friends were doing drugs with me, Andrew, you were the last one I thought you'd ever get saved. <laughs> But he found me, and he started fixing me, and he's still doing it, because I'm still not yet perfect. I'm still not yet in his image. I still find I've got to catch myself, catch my mind, catch my heart, catch my lustful thoughts. I've got to stop them. Stop. Don't feed that thing, because I've, I've fed my lusts. I've lived in my lusts. And when I'm talking lust, I'm not just talking sexual lust. I'm talking the lust of the flesh, the things. I mean, this can be idolatrous. You know, you know I, I walk around shopping centers, and, and, and it's a, and you, you need to know, I see myself as, I'm the guy that lived in the car for two years, and Jesus found me and saved me. But to people, I'm this, like, hero. Like, like I, when I'm with people, they get like, <laughs> don't know what to say. And I'm like, you don't know who I am. Seriously, you don't know who I am. I am a brother before I'm anything else. I'm not some big cheese. I'm just someone that's 
trying desperately to follow Jesus like you are. For goodness sake, I am not special. In fact, the Bible says in my thinking, the parts that seem the most important, this, are the least important to God. And the parts that seem the least important are the most important. So when I walk around here and I'm with you guys, I actually feel like you're it. You're the important one. I'm not. I'm the slave. You're the one I'm serving. And a slave isn't important. I mean, I'm here today. My wife is sick in bed at home. She's been sick in bed at home the whole week. I have been out every single night of this week trying to process stuff like these are some courses to do. Why? Why? This church is so big. The influence that we have is so big. I'll be the last one that has to go and get jobs. Why? Because Jesus died for this. He's my master, man. He's bought me. I don't deserve to be his been the best master I've ever found. I've, I have served sin. I've served many masters, but I have not found a master like him. I am absolutely his. And I want every part of me that even if he sees it's not his, Jesus be Lord of that. I want to wrestle that thing into submission. Because he won me, God. He bought me off the fields of slavery. My master sucked, and you've been an amazing master to me. I never want to lose you, Lord. There's a story of in the Old Testament when a, a man was a slave. And so, I mean, slavery is difficult. And sometimes a slave would actually have a master that was so good to him. The master would, after a few years in Israel, there was a rule that you had to let your slaves go free. And the slave sometimes would say, I don't want to go free. It is better being in your household than living for myself. And they would then take his ear and pierce his ear on the doorpost. And there would be a sign, I have given up my freedom to be your slave. Willingly. Because it's better to be your slave than to be free. I have to say this. It's better to be his slave than to be free. Because I've tasted freedom and it sucked. It actually wasn't freedom at all. It was slavery. Slavery to my own depravity, my own brokenness my own need for affirmation, my own insecurities, my own, all these stuff. And you can look outwardly like you got it all together and hang out with the coolest people on the planet and think you're it. And you know what? You're not. And you know it deep down inside. It's just this treadmill of trying to find my worth and my identity. And it's so empty. I don't even care. For, uh, Christians are so about their identity. And this may freak out your counsel, but I don't even care for my identity. I don't actually care. I don't care. Look, Christians are all on about like, you know, I, my identity, no man can take my identity from me. I'm like, who, who cares about your identity for goodness sake, man? You're supposed to be dead. You're supposed to be dead. I've lost my identity. I remember being in meetings and I was this cool surf. I had long hair. I mean, I had longer hair than I think any of the girls in this church. I, at one, when I was younger, we used to go out in our clubs and we thought we were so cool. We would walk into the place and we were like the cool surfers, the good surfers. We would hang out and just like, eh, we'd talk a certain way. And then, and then I'm in church and the Lord starts hitting my identity and says, I remember one day being in worship and the Lord says to me, I want you to go dance up front. And I was like, nah. <laughs> and then he, I, I sense how it's supposed to look. And I realized if I yield to what the Spirit wants to do in me right now, I'm going to look like some ballerina up there. Like, I'm going to be doing, like, like, Lord, why would you do that to me? Why? I realize, though, that if I can't be a fool for him, I've done ballet like a chick in church. In front of people. I stood in a chair once in the meeting. Prayer meeting, everyone's in a circle. Praying last prayers. And the Lord says to me, stand on the chair. I'm like, why? Just do it. But Lord, they're going to think I'm weird. I don't care. Just do it anyway. Okay. And you know what I've learned? Those little things set me free. They set me free from what people would think about me. Like I remember standing on the chair and going, and now? And he said, now you can sit down. I was like, what was that about? What was that about? I realized now, oh, you were setting me free from worrying about what people would think about me. You were making me entirely yours. You were winning my heart, little battle by little battle. Because as a leader, if I worry about what people think, I won't lead. 
I'll just give you what your itchy ears want to hear. And I can't do that because I've been bought at a price. I'm his slave. I'm not yours. I'll serve you like you're my master. But he is actually my master. I'm preaching too long. So he goes on. Give us that next. I was out about eight scriptures. We've stuck on one. Where are we? Do you know where we are? One James, where are we? I think we're in James 4 verse about 6. The Spirit envies intensely. And then it says this while they find it. <laughs> so I'm like the worst nightmare for guys on notes. But he gives, his Spirit envies intensely, but he gives more grace. Isn't that amazing? He actually gives us grace to change. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, people are like all on about, you know, what will people think and what will people think about me? Do you know what that is? It's love of self, it's pride. Do you know what Jesus is? He just becomes nothing. He's everything and he becomes nothing. And he asks us to follow him in this. You, you, our, this generation is striving for its sense of worth and it'll lose itself in doing that. Because Jesus said, if you try and find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll truly find it. I know many of you sitting here are striving to find out who you are and where you fit and what is your life going to count for. I want to tell you, if you try and find those things, you will lose yourself in those things. You will lose yourself. The very things that you think you find yourself in, you'll lose yourself in. But if you lose yourself for Him and for His glory, that's where you'll truly find yourself. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father but through me. There is no other way for you to truly be who you are called to be. You were made for God and He, was, he ultimately made you for Himself. And so God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. What does that mean? Yield. Yield. Yield to God when He knocks on an area in your life. What area is He knocking on in your life? Because if He's not knocking on some area, you're probably not walking with Him. Because he, he, you see, He yearns jealously. I, I'm married today, and even if you've just had a girlfriend or boyfriend, can you imagine going out with them somewhere? Go out to a you know, a friend's house or a party, or maybe after there's a bride, and, and some guy comes up to your wife and holds her hand. What are you going to do? Are you, are, you, are you at that point conscious of anything else but that? Think about it. What are you going to do? And then he, he puts his arm, or she, if it's the other way around, you know, and gives her a little kiss on the cheek. At that point, I'm not thinking of anything else. I am, I am zoning in like, because I would, in that point, envy intensely. She is not yours. We've made a commitment. We've made a covenant with one another. What are you doing? Do you think God is any different? If he envies intensely, is he any different? At things that would try and draw your identity and yourself and your worth and, and your, your, your loves away from Him. All right. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God and He'll come near to you. I'll stop there. I've taken too long. So I know many of you are at different spaces. I chatted with one guy. He's been saved a few weeks. Some of you maybe a bit longer. I don't know where you are on your walk with the Lord. But I can promise you this. You may never preach. You may never do what I do. Most of you won't. But I do know this, that God is as jealous for you as he was for me and is for me. That he is not going to take sort of half-half. He's everything or he's nothing. And, and there is a journey that you need to start <laughs> that will kill you. But in death you'll find life. Jesus said, if you don't die with me, you won't live with me. Paul the Apostle said, imitate me. And then he said, my life is not my own. I was bought at a price. Are you, is your life your own? Or is your life entirely devoted to him and his purposes? 
Many times I've wanted to pick up my life. But I know the minute I do, I lose him. I've got to die with him so that I can live with him. And the parts of him that I've tasted are more beautiful than anything life has offered me. So I die daily. I die every single day. This morning in my quiet time, I was before the Lord. Lord, kill me, Lord. I found death the most beautiful thing. And I say death, I'm talking about dying to the things that I would love, dying to the things that this world offers me. And so I don't know how I got here in my preach, but some of you are starting to feel like that too. I need to stop now. (laughs) Jesus said, Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavily burdened. Do you know, that's all of us actually. I mean, we can outwardly look like we've got it all together, but inwardly, we're, we're a mess. We're twisted out of his image, broken, giving ourselves to all the wrong things and finding the emptiness of them. He says, come to me and I will give you life. I feel like this today, even what's happening here, you know, Dan, there's a wrestle on in his heart for Jesus to be Lord of all. And a journey that he will go on for the Lord to take dominion of every part of him. But that wrestle will likewise be something that he's doing in you and me right now. Because he yearns jealously over us. Remember the story of someone holding my wife's hand. Right now Jesus is looking at us. And I wonder what we're holding hands with. I wonder what areas of compromise we've allowed What are the things that we have loved more than we've loved him? The one who died on a cross to find us and to save us. He's shown his great love for us. I feel like today the Lord is is knocking and he's saying, I want that part of you. Like that part of you. For some of you, it's your fears. You're sitting here going, oh my goodness, what kind of church is this? Like, I can't believe we're talking about the things like, it's your fears of your own, just let him have those things. Start to come out of the hole that you've found yourself in. Some of you, it's who I am and what am I going to do. For some of you, it's lusts. I heard, I mean, I grew up, I was lucky, I grew up before the internet. I grew up before cell phones. I remember when they came onto the scene, they were like bricks that you you guys grew up in a world that I didn't, where porn and those things are at your fingertips. They say 50% of pastors today, this is according to the stats in America, are addicted to porn. Porn. Jesus said if you look at a woman with lust, if you look at her with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. You're unfaithful to him and unfaithful to your wife or your husband. It's, it's the lusts of the flesh. These things put us on the wrong side of God. And Jesus is, and here's the amazing thing, as ugly as you and I are, and we are ugly, he loves us. You think, Lord, why would you love me? Why would you love me? But he does. In spite of what we do, he loves us. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, if you hear the knock, open the door. And I will come in and eat with you. Share life with you. No matter what you've done, no matter the idolatry, no matter the brokenness, he says, I want to come in and fix it. But you've got to open the door. You've got to start opening the door because he yearns jealously for you so let's close our eyes Father your love is so much bigger than we are able to grasp in ourselves Uh, and your mercy your kindness, your grace greater than we can fathom by ourselves But Jesus, we we do see how you have shown 
something of your love for us in dying on a cross for us while we were yet sinners. Ugly in your sight. Nothing in us that you should desire us, but you did. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that he came to the cross and died in your place to save you. Because he sees you kicking and screaming in your own blood. He sees you making life decisions that will lead you to death and not to life. And he says, I want to save you. I want to heal you. I want to love you. But will you come to me and find love and life in abundance? And if you're here today and you've never, ever done that, or maybe you've done it 